Hello, and welcome to Fangraphs Audio, episode 1002. To begin today's show, David Lorelo welcomes Brad Miller, veteran infielder for the Texas Rangers and big soccer fan, who along with David finds himself pretty excited about the World Cup. David and Brad discuss the weird viewing times and which countries they're rooting for, and which major league teammates Brad likes to kick the ball around with the most. The duo, of course, also talk baseball, as Brad reflects on being drafted by the Mariners way back in the day and then rooting for the club as they broke their playoff drought this year. We also hear about being teammates with players like Logan Morrison and Chris Young, who's now the boss in Texas, as well as being mentored by Raul Abanez, Willie Bloomquist, and Robinson Cano. Here's a little anecdote about Robbie Cano. When I was in Tampa, I mean, when I was in Seattle, we signed him. And, and mind you, I had hit like, you know, I had always, I had hit for power, you know, in college and, you know, nothing crazy. But like, yeah, it was, I was definitely capable and it just wasn't consistent. And one day in BP, Robbie comes, like, just says to me, he's like, oh, he's like, you're going to hit 30 homers in the big leagues. And I was like, what? I was kind of thinking to myself, I was like, what is he talking about? I have like... I have like 10 career home runs. Like, you know, I, I I thought it was cool that year I hit, I think I hit 10 or 11 or something. And I remember he was the first one that kind of planted that seed and just saw something in me that I didn't even see, honestly. And then, you know, in Tampa, I go and hit 30 and I'm like, wow, that was like a year ago. He was telling me that and I thought he was crazy. So he was, he was always really good to me. After that, Ben Clemens is joined by Jason Martinez to discuss a handful of recent moves. The pair begin by discussing Jose Abreu and what a good fit he is with the defending world champion Astros. Then we also hear about the rebuilding Washington Nationals signing Heimer Condelario, which is also a great fit in its own very different way. Ben and Jason also talk about the Dodgers signing Shelby Miller and how this has all the signs of one of their remarkable reclamation projects. I'm, I'm not going to believe it even when I see it. Like, I just, I can't imagine him ending up good because he's just felt so cursed his entire major league career. But if anyone can fix him, it's the Dodgers, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, they've done that with a couple different guys already. And it, it seems like every guy they were throwing out, you know, even though they, that, that series against the Padres ended badly, but they had guys like Yancy Almonte, Tommy Conley, who were just like, they were striking every hitter out. <laughs> yeah, not even I mean, exaggerating. Like Yancy Almonte. What was Evan Phillips before last year? Evan Phillips. Yeah. I mean, so, so they have, they've been doing this. So they have that reputation. If you look at a guy like Miller... It's yeah, it's interesting how you go from being that that young starting pitching sensation, bounce around, and all of a sudden it's just like wow, what what happened? You're just really bad. You're just a minor league free agent guy, and at some point, I don't know how long it took, but it, it seems like a pretty common thing to say. All right, stop trying to throw all these pitches. We're gonna we're gonna focus on this one pitch, and we're gonna use all of this technology. And okay, boom, this is the pitch you should be throwing. Finally, yours truly joins Ben and Jason to discuss the Cardinals-related predictions they made back in May on episode 976, as well as looking ahead to getting together for the winter meetings next week. But before we get to these segments, I must issue my weekly reminder for you to head on over to the shop at Fangraphs.com, where you can show your support for the site and the podcast by considering some Fangraphs merch or an ad-free membership. If you haven't done all your holiday shopping yet, consider the gift of ad-free browsing at Fangraphs.com for the baseball fan in your life. A membership for yourself or as a gift for a loved one is the best way to support Fangraphs and everything we do. We couldn't do it without you. Thank you. Enjoy the show. Hey, baseball fans. This is David Lorla. My guest on this segment is Brad Miller. 
infielder, outfielder for the Texas Rangers, veteran of somehow 10 big league seasons already. And uh, as I learned in September when we talked at Fenway Park, a pretty serious uh, soccer fan. So Brad, thanks for coming on to Fangrass Area. Yeah, appreciate you for having me. And yeah, the years have, have flown by and it's been awesome, but excited to talk some World Cup. It's been amazing to, to watch. And we're definitely going to talk some World Cup. We are going to talk baseball as well. So, <laughs> okay, so if fine. you're a listener here thinking, oh man, I don't care about that, you know, don't worry. There, there's going to be some real baseball talk. But let's start though with, with the World Cup. Team USA advanced to the group of 16, which is pretty cool. I assume you've been watching those games pretty closely. Yeah, that was, those were awesome. I honestly didn't realize how like into it I was until, you know, watching, you know, our, our country play and it was just you know when we scored against Wales in the first game I'm just like screaming in my house alone and it has been great I think we showed well we played some tough games you know and and we we found a way to uh, scratch across a couple goals and and advance you know when obviously in the knockout stage anything can happen tough Netherlands team but uh, I think our our guys have have showed really well no, absolutely. I don't know how much we should really talk about the U.S. team specifically, but I, I guess I will ask, because I know you've been watching a lot of different matches when you can, what team other than the U.S. are you really enjoying, you know, or maybe mm-hmm. are, are rooting for? Yeah, I think I've tried to watch literally as as many matches as I can. You know, I've tried to to catch all of them. Really, you know, I can't think of a specific team maybe, but there have been some players to me that, you know, some I kind of like, you know, the young up and coming guys and and that kind of use the World Cup as their as their their stage just like last World Cup Kylian Mbappe kind of became a household name and I've been really you know, enjoying watching for Germany, um, Jamal um, Musella. Uh, I'm probably uh, mispronouncing that, but, you know, a young stud. He chose, you know, the German team over England. And when he's got the ball, it is just special and it's been electric. And then I love Julian Alvarez, who scored today for Argentina. Big Man City fan. So I feel like I kind of, you know, was on to him a little bit before the World Cup. Jude Bellingham for England is just, he's going to be the next big thing. So I like watching these young players and, you know, getting to to see them kind of become household names is fun. No, I'm glad you brought up uh, Bellingham because he is uh, one person that, that I was going to bring up if you didn't. Yeah, and along with uh, with Bellingham, Brad, another player, I don't know if you've noticed, uh, Portugal's João Felix has been absolutely outstanding. I think he very much outplayed Ronaldo in that one match. Portugal is one for me, like on paper, like, you know, like those are some big time names, <laughs> you know, with obviously Ronaldo, João Felix. Uh, Bruno Fernandes and then, you know, Ruben Diaz and Jao Cancelo at the back, Bernardo Silva. I mean, those are like some not just, you know, good players. Those are star players. That is a ton of talent on one team. So, you know, I try to obviously pay attention when they're playing. But uh, same with England. It's like they have Phil Foden and Marcus Rashford and Jack Grealish coming off the bench. It's pretty, it's an embarrassment of riches. So a lot of good players in this tournament. 
Yeah, we're going to jump to baseball here in a bit and then maybe even back to soccer. But I should mention, mention, though, with all of the watching, you know, I'm on the East Coast. I'm in the Boston area. And what I've been doing a lot, which fortunately I don't have to now that we're beyond the the 5 a.m. Eastern games. But I woke up at 6 a lot early on to watch the second half of matches, which... Some people, you know, may think I'm crazy to do that, but you know, it's it's great. No, you're a good fan. I was I was skipping the 5 a.m. matches, and and uh, luckily there wasn't any, you know, two can't miss of those. You know, like I was picking up at what was it, the 8 a.m.s and the 11. So what a what a good week of, of sports with you know the NFL with with the World Cup. It's been it was a nice week last week. No, absolutely. It's great to have things to fill the space with no baseball, too, because I am definitely in, in withdrawal. You being a player, I think you probably have less withdrawal because you need the uh, the break, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's honestly kind of why I got into watching soccer was, you know, a couple of years ago, I, I was in the middle, you know, I just, I was on the Brewers and I needed hip surgery and, you know, I got released by them and you know, they're the best team in the, in the National League, and I've never played in the playoffs. And it's like, yeah, you know, it kind of – I was rooting hard for those guys, but still it was like I needed something else to, to dive into because, you know, that was tough watching. You know, I was on crutches on the couch watching them, you know, have the time of their life. So, um, so yeah, it is a good little break to have some balance. And you are, of course, uh, you are with the Texas Rangers now. Once upon a time, you know, a decade plus ago, you signed out of uh, Clemson with the Seattle Mariners. When you look back at the, like that first professional year, Brad, you know, what do you think about? Yeah, in 2011, then my first pro year was 12, and I went to um, I went to high A. I got some good experience in spring. You know, they called over the minor league guys to back up. That was a dream come true, just getting into some of those games. And then, yeah, split the year between high A and, and double A. And honestly, I just played, you know, it was, I ended up playing over like 150 games between the two stops in the playoffs, which was amazing. You know, played every day and just kept my head down and, you know, had a ton of fun and, and learned what it was to, you know, navigate a, a professional season. So I was lucky with the Mariners. We had such a good staff, you know, in the minor leagues and such good players. It was it was it was easy. It was a lot of fun. With them being an original team, Brad, did did you find excitement in seeing them make it to the playoffs this year? A hundred percent. I love that city. You know, and we almost did. We we would have under the new rules, but in two thousand fourteen we finished one game out of it on the final day, Sunny Gray and Oakland won and and we won, but it didn't matter. We had to, we needed Oakland to lose, you know, so we got close and there was buzz, but yeah, to see that stadium fill up and some of those instant classic games they had was, was awesome. And you broke in with the Mariners in, was it 2014? Is that correct? 13? Yes. Yep. Yeah. In June of, uh, of 2013. Of 2013. And you were there three seasons. So you played with guys like Robbie Cano, Nelly Cruz, Felix, you know, with Logan Morrison. You know, maybe share an anecdote or two about, you know, a few of those guys. Yeah, I, I was lucky, you know, even in my first year getting to play with Raul Abanez, who is a guy I consider, you know, my mentor and just, you know, Henry Blanco, you know, who was, they were both over 40 at the time, you know, with a wealth of knowledge. And also too, I played with my current boss, Chris Young, who's another mentor of mine. So, 
you know, just incredible teammates, you know, Kyle Seeger, Dustin Ackley, Justin Smoke, like these guys that I looked up to in college and it all happened fast. So I just remember, shoot, Brendan Ryan, <laughs> you know, who is a great influence, you know, and taught me a ton about playing shortstop. So, man, I was lucky. Willie Bloomquist, you know, who's now the manager, uh, sorry, the, the head coach at, at Arizona State, you know, which is his dream job. But I was just so lucky to have these, like, not just veterans. I almost call them like super veterans. You know, Raul Labanez was in his 17th season. Willie Bloomquist was in his 13th season. You know, Chris Young, you know, had had an amazing career. And, and even after that, you know, won a World Series. So they just taught me, you know, what it was to be a professional and what it was to, to fight and, you know, be a major league player and, and truly were great examples for me as a young player. And now that Chris Young is your boss, I'm guessing that you can't share any juicy Chris Young stories. <laughs> <laughs> There's no juicy stories. I mean, I think if you would have told all of our teammates that Chris Young would be a, a general manager and running a, an organization, we would have been like, yeah, of course, like he was, <laughs> that's what he was going to do. You know, I will say though, he was, he was great with me. I think there was one time when we were up big and I was frustrated and I went down under and I kind of like slammed my helmet into the bat rack and it was, you know, timed terribly and, and it was super quiet out there. And so it, it, it looked really bad. And I remember that was something Chris came right up to me and he was like, Hey, he's like, that's not you. Like, that's not what we do. Like we're up 10. Like you can throw yourself, you can, you know, bang your helmet, show emotion, but like you got to know, you got to play to the scoreboard and have feel. And that was one little lesson. There were so many lessons from him, but like, I'm glad he, you know, gave me, you know, came right up to me and let me know, you know, hey, that's not what you're going to be about. And little stuff like that, I, I still, all those lessons they taught me from a young age, I still, you know, adhere to. Any good Lomo stories? <laughs> I mean, I, I think I have the major league record for most time spent with Lomo. But uh, is that a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> it's it's a major league record. It is a major league record because obviously we got traded with each other to Tampa. Because I remember that when we got traded, I didn't know who was in the deal. And he called me and he was like, hey, because at the time, like my favorite player was Kevin Kiermaier. Like I, I love KK. And then after playing with him, like even more, I'm like, okay, this guy's, you know, a close friend of mine. And I remember Lomo called me and he's like, well, He's like, anything you want me to tell your favorite player? And I'm like, well, I'm going to tell him, Lomo, because I got traded. We're like, what? We both got traded together, which was, you know, which was kind of crazy. You know, Lomo, he's a big teddy bear. He cares, you know, he's, yeah, he's loud, but, you know, he, I got to see him in Tampa, you know, truly put up an incredible year and hit 38 home runs, 37, 36, maybe, which was a lot. And, you know, he was a great friend. He is a great friend of mine and, you know, but the guy worked and, you know, he, he tried to be the best teammate he possibly could be, you know, he, he loves baseball. So I hope he stays in the game and can, can influence some, some younger players and, and share kind of his experiences. And on the subject of home runs, you actually went to Tampa and hit 30, which mm -hmm. that's a lot of home runs. Yeah, that was that was a lot. That was cool. Yeah, that was um, that was something. Uh, here's a, here's a little anecdote about Robbie Cano. When I was in Tampa, I mean, when I was in Seattle, we signed him. And, and mind you, I had hit like, you know, I'd always I had hit for power, you know, in college and, you know, nothing crazy. But like, yeah, it was I was definitely capable and it just wasn't consistent. And one day in BP, Robbie comes like just says to me, he's like, oh, he's like, you're going to hit 30 homers in the big leagues. And I was like, what? 
I was kind of thinking to myself, I was like, what is he talking about? I have like, I have like 10 career home runs. Like, you know, I, I, I thought it was cool that year I hit, I think I hit 10 or 11 or something. And I remember he was the first one that kind of planted that seed and just saw something in me that I didn't even see, honestly. And then, you know, in Tampa, I go and hit 30 and I'm like, wow, that was like a year ago. He was telling me that and I thought he was crazy. So he was, he was always really good to me. Now, one thing I've learned over the years is that a lot of baseball players are very good scouts or would be very good scouts. So, so yeah, so he was right on. And, you know, and Chris is, of course, Chris Young is the, the GM there now. He would be or at least would have been in his playing career by far the best basketball player that <laughs> you ever played with. Not only tall, you know, he did play in college. So that would be a good jumping off point, Brad, to ask who among your big league teammates, current or previous is or would be the best soccer player oh i got one for you um because we would actually go kick around the ball quite often and he's somebody too that burst onto the scene this postseason and he is you know on record being my favorite pitcher but this guy is the smoothest customer and he's got skills and he would love going kick around the ball with me and uh it's uh, uh ranger suarez Ranger is silky and like he'd see the ball and his eyes would light up. So we'd go kick it around. Um, Didi Gregorius has some, has some, some skills too, but like I'm not good at all. I just love kicking it around and running and chasing after it. But Ranger has got some feel and that's my guy. So I would definitely take Ranger. I wonder if Bubba Thompson would be good if he played because he's an outstanding athlete. Oh my gosh. Bubba is incredible. It's just so crazy. And that's why I'm so in awe watching these guys is because, you know, obviously I grew up with a bat in my hands or the ball in my hands and, you know, the feet were kind of secondary, very important in baseball, but like, you know, these guys literally can do anything with their feet. And it's just, it almost, I, I can't even fathom it just because I grew up so opposite and I'm sure they can't believe, you know, the, the skills different sports have with their hands, but you know, I just think it's so hard. I'm trying to think, you know, an infielder for sure. Like I said, Rangers, silky smooth. I'm trying to think if any guys really played. Mitch Garver was actually a very good center back and defender in high school. And I believe he was thinking about going to play soccer in college. Well, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And 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 what uh, and I don't know if you played uh, soccer at all beyond being uh, very young, but had you stuck with the game and maybe played at a high level, would you have been, you know, a goalie, a center back, you know, a striker heading in corners? You know, I literally you... never played like maybe like YMCA when I was five, but I, I grew up in Florida and played like baseball and basketball. Like that was, that was it. So this is very new to me and very, when I, I when I was in, on crutches in 2018, I just, I was like, man, I can't wait to like get out there and run around and kick the ball around. So that kind of became like some of my warm up and like during the season I would do it and run around and but I have no history playing but I'm guessing just based you know I'm about 62 200 and obviously if I played soccer I would probably lean out you know maybe be 185 190 but I would say yeah the only thing I could probably you know just based on my frame is you know a center back you know and try to try to bully around some some guys and not get not get nutmegged and and you know tore up 
And here is a question that centers on uh, both sports, baseball and soccer. How much are you a fan of uh, VAR and replay review, particularly in calls that with the naked eye are clean plays? Yeah. So in baseball, obviously, like I fully understand the rules and I have a, you know, I have a sense when something happens or I see it, I'm like, yeah, okay, this is what's going to happen or whatever. In in soccer, I just don't. And it's from what I understand, the offside ruling has changed over the years, kind of like, you know, in, in the NFL, they talk about what's a catch. So I just am not that familiar. Like I thought the Tim Weah goal, which was an unbelievable finish, would have made it 2 nothing. I thought for sure, I'm like, oh, this is going to get, you know, overturned or challenged. And I was completely wrong. So I'm still learning. That's why I try to watch as much as I can, you know, to learn, but definitely much easier to understand in baseball, you know, just because obviously that's what I've always been around and, and done. It is very easy to understand, Brad, but at the same time, when somebody slides into second base and they're off the bag by a fraction of an inch for a fraction of a second, I've always thought that goes a little about against the spirit of the game. Yeah, exactly. And and even the umpires will tell you that's kind of one of the unforeseen results of this technology. Like that's not what the technology's for. You know, it, it's just, you know, it's meant to get the call right. And like, I agree too. It's like the whole thing is you beat him to the bag, you know, and that's, you know, you beat the guy, you know, so you're almost getting it overturned on kind of a technicality. But, you know, I think everybody understands that. But also, too, like if you're looking at everything, it's like you still want the technology to get it right, even for the trade off. So but but you're exactly exactly right. Yeah. Uh, and we're running short on time. But a few more th things, Brad. Did you happen to catch the end of the Korea Ghana game? No, I saw it was going back and forth. What what specifically happened, though? The crazy thing that happened was that Korea came back from 2-0 down to tie it. Ghana went ahead, and Korea yep. put on incredible pressure in the last, say, five to eight minutes. And when I say incredible pressure, if you're a like soccer it. fan and see matches where there's really not a ton going on, this was the exact opposite. It was it was insane. And the match actually ended with what would have been a corner for Korea and the referee said, no corner, we're stopping the game right here, Silver, which wow. resulted in a red card for the, the Korean manager, you know, for the coach. Wow. So. Wow. Yeah. And that's that's been the fun part, of at least these third round of, of games in the group stage, too, is just the sense of urgency. You know, and I get it. And that's why the knockout stage is going to be brilliant, too, is just like, like you said, like I thought the first half of the Argentina-Poland match, I mean, they were, you know... It's almost like in football, it's like an all-out blitz. Or it was like there was pressure. Like you could see it. You could feel it. You could see Poland just kind of like on their heels like, oh, you know, what's going on here? And and uh, the goalie Szczesny had, you know, I think he had nine saves, including a penalty on Messi. So it's like you can just tell like when the pressure's like that, like that's when it's fun. And, and, and the style of play is definitely captivating for any sports fan. No, and another piece of, of craziness, Brad, happened in the end of the, uh, you know, the Mexico-Saudi Arabia game, which I was watching, bouncing back and forth between, you know, between matches. Had they, they not uh, given up a late goal, Mexico would have been eliminated by having more yellow cards. Yes, yeah, it's all those, uh, the fair play, you know, points added up. Yeah, that was, um, you know, and, and I... I 
obviously I grew up, you know, here with our kind of, you know, you know, playoffs and knockouts and no ties and all that. And I kind of, as I've watched more soccer, like I appreciate that everything matters, you know, truly. Now that is a tough break, you know, to, to go out potentially on, you know, accumulating too many yellow cards or more than the other team. But like, that's also part of the game. Like, you know, you got to know when to challenge, you know, the tactical fouls is when you put, you put yourself, you know, your team in a bad position. So you have to foul. So, you know, I, I definitely think it does make sense. And obviously it's not, you know, you want everything decided on the field, you know, head to head, but it also, you know, it's, it's what you got to do. So I think the knockout stage though will be a little bit more straightforward, which, I'm just fired up. The emotion in the in the World Cup is just is just unmatched. No, for sure. And because I didn't really word that, make that very clear earlier for listeners who had no idea what I was talking about, Poland advanced over Mexico because of goal differential. Uh, and it would have been cards for yes. that last goal. Yep, exactly. Right. So uh, maybe one last quick thing, you know, sticking w- with soccer, Team Australia. You know, that's who I'm rooting for now. I think that's, you know, along with Holland, you know, the Netherlands has never won a World Cup. But if if we're going to have a great upset, uh, you know, let go Team Australia. Yeah, I think they're going to get thrashed. But, you know, I think obviously anything, anything can happen. Tough draw for them against um, Argentina, but crazy effort to to sneak in and a really tough group. but I mean, we can't. I mean, I love the Netherlands. I love what they. I love Cody Gapko. I love some of their young players. But you know, obviously, I'm hoping we can give them a fight and find a way. You know, they're they're obviously on paper so strong. But you know, shoot, let's let's make a run at this now. I think the boys are gaining confidence and um, you know really pulling for for our young guys. Yeah, let's close, Brad. Actually, with one uh, one baseball thing. Where do you feel you are at your career at this age, and what does the twenty twenty three season look like for the Texas Rangers? Yeah, I'm excited. I think obviously there's a lot of lot of a lot of things to be excited about with with you know the Rangers and our organization right now. Bringing in Bruce Bochy, Mike Maddox. I'm excited to be back with him. Had him in St. Louis as our pitching coach, and he's you know one of the best. Will Venable, bringing him in, another Princeton guy, you know, connection with CY and and, and a first-class guy and coach. But yeah, you know, I think for me, I'm I'm strong, I'm, I'm healthy. I had to end the year, you know, because of because of my body, but got it back into a great spot. And, you know, definitely, definitely feel like I'm using my, my experience and have a great program. And I'm kind of ready to, to get back out there. You know, I think I got a lot, a lot more left in the tank. I'm hungry. And um, I'm really just excited to obviously get back and get into camp with, you know, some fresh, fresh faces. And, you know, it's, it's always, Every year is exciting because you do start from scratch. So personally, I'm ready to start from scratch and, and go out and have a great year and, you know, get in the playoffs and get in the mix. And whether it's one more year or five more years, Brad, what happens after baseball? Yeah, hopefully it's 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 five more. But uh, I don't know. You know, I love baseball. I, I've been in it my whole life. And I always say, you know, that's, that's where my schooling's in. You know, I, I left Clemson and, and I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm continuing to, to get educated and, you know, in the school of baseball. So I would love to love to stay involved in the game. Don't know what that that means, but I, I still feel that fire burning as a player. So I'm excited to, you know, only been in the playoffs once and, and that was during the COVID year and it was amazing still. But I, I want to experience that. I want to win a world championship. I want to, 
you know, push my game to the, to the next level, you know, be an all-star. I want to do all these things. So yeah, obviously I love baseball. So would love to love to be in it forever. Love baseball, love soccer. And much as you would love to win a world series, um, I'm sure you would love to see team USA upset the world as well and win the world cup. So that would just be crazy. I mean, they're, you know, that's what, what, what what makes sports so awesome is you never know you got to play it, but you know, they, they've looked, they've showed well, you know, they've really showed well. Right. So go Team USA. Believe it. And thanks, Brad, for coming on to Fangrass Audio. Thanks, guys, for having me. It was fun. Yeah. And thanks, everybody, for listening to Fangrass Audio. Hey, welcome to another segment of Fangrass Audio. I'm Ben Clemens, and I'm joined by Jason Martinez. And Jason, normally we talk about like a lot of transactions that have gone on, usually when you and I come on the show, but they just haven't this time. Well, you know, I guess the good thing is that it's a normal off season for the first time in a while. Yeah. Uh, I would say it's been, you know, three years. I think we mostly had a normal off season before the pandemic hit, you know, before that 20 season. So it's been it's been a while. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, this is just how it is in, in November. And if you look at the history of it, it's there'll be a few of these types of signings, a lot of re-signings, be a couple big names, maybe you know, one or two interesting trades and, and that's it. But it does seem quiet the last couple of days as far as like, okay, I have, uh, I'm hopeful for, for a really, really fun uh, winter meetings. Not just because I get to see all, all you guys, all my coworkers and all yeah. the baseball world, but because there's going to be a lot of fun stuff to talk about. A lot of transactions, a lot of, a lot of big free agent signings, a lot of, a lot of trades, hopefully. Yeah, it, it feels like it's kind of, as you said, back to what it used to be. Like last November was fun because so many free agents signed early, but then also it sucked because we had the the lockout looming over our heads. So yeah, March was crazy too. That those yeah. so we had those two those two things those two periods where it was like, oh my goodness, this is like right. This makes up for a lot. Yeah, <laughs> oh, we're probably never gonna have that again. I was really hoping that the free agents who signed last November would like talk to their friends and be like, actually, it was great because I got to go you know rent a house and figure out what coffee shop I like and all that, like instead of figuring out in season and then right. we'd see more big signings. But I don't know, like the status quo is hard to shake. And I'm sure agents are like, look, this is the way it works. We sign at the winter meetings. Yeah, for sure. We must interrupt Jason while he's eating so that he has to run to his car and get his laptop. <laughs> That's how it works. Yeah. We, we've had a few things happen though the, the last the last couple of weeks. I mean, what, what's happened? We, we've had like one, one thing happen today. Of course, yeah. the big one is Jose Abreu to the Astros. Which uh, which happened pretty quick. I, I guess that was there was a few teams rumored in on on Abreu. It sounds like the Red Sox were interested. It sounds like the Padres were were interested. It sounds like he had a couple three three year offers in there. But he go he goes yeah. to the World Champions. You know that's two two deals in a row that Abreu has signed very early in free agency. I think he just doesn't like negotiating. Yeah, and I and I, I imagine that's a thing. It's just like I, I don't. I just want to get this done and then just kind of relax and not have to think about yeah. it for the remainder of the offseason. You know, he just tells his agent get their last and best offer, and you know, let them know I'm signing later this week, and let's see what happens. If you want to do this, you can. And I mean, it's hard to dislike this deal for him or for the Astros. It just makes a lot of sense on both sides, for sure. And and you know, even at thirty, his age thirty six, thirty seven, thirty eight seasons. I mean. Yeah, certain guys do. You just never know when they're just gonna when that production is just gonna fall off a cliff. And yeah. you know, looking at what he did last year, and in a season where a lot of guys did, their production just fell. 
And that probably had a lot to do with the baseball, with them going back to that that dejuiced baseball. Um, and you saw it. You saw you saw production go down with a lot of guys. And Abreu didn't hit a lot of homers, but he did have what 40, 40 doubles. So the power was still there. He's still hitting over three hundred. I think a lot of guys around the league were just like, "Man, I I've been trying to put the ball in the air because the thing flies and it goes out of the park. If I if I hit it if I hit it to the opposite field, that thing flies. It gets out of here." And now all of a sudden, those things weren't happening for most guys. They just didn't have yeah. that plus plus power. You know yeah, what I mean? He is and I, just a, a premium like like it's not bat control, right? But like he is just a premium ball striker. And I feel like it wasn't an accident that he was hitting like fewer fly balls and more line drives and more ground balls when the ball doesn't fly as far. But he was still hitting it super hard and like you said, forty doubles. Like I think this year actually bodes pretty well for his ability to adapt and adjust. And like yeah, like as you mentioned, guys just fall off all the time and there's no predicting it. It's not like every guy falls off and it's not like everyone falls off by the same amount. Anything could happen. But I think this past year should give you a lot of confidence for the Astros that he has a well-rounded enough like set of tools that just one little decline or one change in the ball isn't going to sink him. Like he started striking out less, looked like he was taking kind of like more controlled swings and a more controlled approach, but like you said, still hitting all these doubles. He's just a really good hitter. Yeah, there's there's so so many things he brings to that table, and, and you know I, I think because the Astros won the World Series, it's, you go well. <laughs> I guess it does. Maybe it does. It matters less. Because these guys are all world champions now, but but that type of guy on a team that's close but just can't get over the the hump, you know, the Phillies, yeah. the Padres, teams that that were close like that, and the, and you go, wow, they could have used that veteran guy who's just like, you know, he he he's not going to get rattled. He he's he's going to have great at bats against the best pitchers in the in in the league. But now he's bringing that to a team that that's full of world champions you know and another cuban in the middle of that lineup jordan alvarez is 10 years younger but you know to have those guys you know probably back to back right-handed left-handed that's got to be that's got to be a big deal for for alvarez well yeah i think i'm i totally get why the astros did this they had a not a ton of positions of need first base was just an obvious one and they got the best first baseman in the market and they didn't have to sign a long-term deal for it just seems like a lot of things lined up well I'm sure it's comfortable for Abreu to slot into a team that is really good, has other Cuban players, and like can just plug them into the lineup and not have to, you know, do the whole start with a crappy team and build it up again that he did with the White Sox. Doesn't surprise me that he ended up here. It wouldn't have surprised me if he ended up with the Padres either, to be honest. Like there's there's Yeah, that, some... that would have been a great fit. Like I said, it's 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 that team that has they don't have that that veteran guy. Like I think at bringing in Bob Melvin helped them to Yeah. To kind of get over, you know, things were going bad at the end of the season. He just kept him above water, and I think that was part of it. So, so I think you still you're still lacking this type of player um, who who can be part of that everyday mix. It's just like, all right, we're not do, do not let things fall apart here. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I think it's a just a I don't know. Like usually, you can nitpick things about deals and think that a player got too little or a team got too much or what is the team thinking, you know. The, the signing that I compare this to in a very positive light is two years ago when the Royals signed Carlos Santana. Mm-hmm. And I wrote that deal up too. And I was like, this seems like a fair deal for Santana. And why in the world is he on the Royals? <laughs> yeah. Like, how is this going to work out well for anybody? And it just didn't. And they had a hard time trading him. Whereas the Astros aren't trading Abreu. Like, there's no issue of that. There's no issue of fit either. They need him. He's not blocking anybody. They need a first baseman. They're going to be competitive the entire three years he's there. Just like easy wins all around i'm kind of surprised in retrospect that i didn't think more about them getting him it just makes so much sense 
Yeah, and I think where they are now as far as team needs and payroll, I think they're just going to take a shot at Verlander. Can we get Verlander back? And if not, let's go big at to fill one of our offensive needs. So so I think because they have so much pitching depth, they they can be they're they're fine without Verlander. But I I have a feeling they're going to go after Verlander. They're going to make them what they feel is is a good offer. And if they don't get that that guy, they're not going to go spend that on a on a on a pitcher. Then they're going to they're going to redirect and try to get, you know, Brandon Nimmo or somebody like like that, one of the better offensive players in free agency. Yeah. They kind of only have Nimmo, right? Like, I don't think Wilson Contreras actually makes that much sense for them. They seem to care a lot about catcher defense. Yeah. Well, unless, I, I mean, I think it's, it, I think it would be harder to convince Contreras to be in a different type of role because he, he would be the backup catcher and he'd be playing a lot of DH. Not sure yeah. if, if they try to stick him out in left field or something, but I think the, the plan would still be to have him in the lineup on most days, but it would be yeah. much less catching, which maybe Agreed. maybe he likes that. That's true. Yeah. Maybe he's just like, my knees have hurt for six years in a row. Yeah. Like, let's let's change this up. That's kind of the, the highlight signing of the week. But I actually, I think the signing I've liked the most this week was the Nats getting uh, Heimer Candelario. And this is just a case of, you know, how how his star has fallen. If you told anyone before 2022 that Heimer Candelario would be available, you know, just in free agency because he'd been waived or non-tendered rather, like no way. He had been just a like literally a star in the previous two years. He'd been great. I think he was worth four war in 2021 and just looked the part, right? Like he was hitting a ton. He looked good in 2020. He's hitting the ball hard like walking a lot, not striking out too much. And then everything just fell apart in 2022. Yeah. And he might, he might be one of those guys. Like I, like I mentioned before, it's a lot of guys who are just like, what the heck is going on? I did yeah. not, you know, maybe a lot of these guys underestimated the difference that baseball was going to make and it just didn't have it anymore. I, th- I think for a lot of these guys, they have to change their approach and yeah, it didn't work for Candelario. But if you look at what he did, those, those, you know, 2020, 2021 years. Yeah. If, age going into his age 28 season you go oh man this guy's on the rise he's already doing this he's only going to get better <laughs> but yeah. yeah as baseball reminds us you know constantly that's just not how it works <laughs> that just just happens some guys are on the rise at 27 28 and then they're done by 30 they're just like what happened to this guy oh this guy's i, I thought he retired he's playing in mexico and he's only 31 yeah. and so yeah candelario is i mean to get him at you know one year and five million Sets him up for, you know, and, and he's going to be a free agent again heading into his age 30 season. So if he, if, if he reverts back to what he was in 21, yeah, he's in really good shape. Yeah. And in the Nationals case, I think, I think it gives us an indication that they're not ready to start, you know, putting a lot of money back onto this payroll again. I mean, they have, yeah. you know, you know I think it's going to be built around C.J. Abrams and, and, um, it's hard to even pick out guys. I mean, they don't, you know, Joey Manassas. Yeah. I mean, wow. I that, think that was a Kabert game. is really good. I think he's a legit like build around piece, but I don't know. I don't know if he's going to stick at catcher long term. That's tough. And so, yeah. And it's, yeah, it's tough to build to, to just say that's, you know, that's our guy because he's, he's not going to get more than 500 plate appearances, you know what right. I mean? And so yeah, I, he's I, like a nice, he can be the best catcher on your world series team. But he cannot be Buster Posey. Yeah, and they got they got some young guys that are interesting. But I think bringing in Heimer, I, I think they're they're at a point where they're like, okay, well, we're not gonna we're we're not gonna spend a lot of money. We're not there yet, but let's try to find some yeah. some bounce back candidates. And that's that's a good one. I mean, that's that's definitely a guy who's 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 uh, who's gonna get every chance to prove that he's still that guy. Yeah, I wrote this deal up, and I was just shocked looking through the Nationals' twenty twenty two 
you know, stats, how many people they gave playing time to where you're just like, mm, I don't know, man. Like, Alcides Escobar, Michael Franco, D. Strange Gordon, Ira Adrianza. Ildemaro like, Vargas was like an everyday guy for the last <laughs> two months, I think. And yeah, you look he, at his numbers and you go, you go, yeah, he wasn't even that good. But yeah, he, he, he was in there every day. And if I'm them, like... I want to be giving like Jake Alou and Lane Thomas, Abrams, Men- Menaces. I don't know how to say his name, honestly. <laughs> That's I think, a tough it's, Man- I think it's, I'll say Manassas. Manassas, Manassas, Manassas yeah. sounds, sounds pretty cool. That sounds reasonable to me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so like they want to be giving these like upside guys plate appearances. They didn't have enough of them last year. They had too many of these kind of, we know how this is going to go veterans. And I, I think, you know, Luke Voigt kind of fits into that category where like, they just had to take him back in the trade. It was it was salary ballast or whatever. But they had DFA'd him. That was fine. They weren't going to keep running him out there, even though he's actually good. I think Candelaria is a, a step in the right direction. They know that they should be auditioning guys. Look, um, I, I looked through a lot of his like 2022 kind of like smaller indicators, and it's just hard to say anything other than he was pressing and he wasn't very good. He was like swinging too much and he wasn't hitting the ball hard when he did. And that could mean that he's just bad now. But it could also just mean that he had a down year, like you said, and he couldn't figure out what was going on with the ball. And so he just was like, crap, I need to swing more because I'm not hitting as many home runs per swing. And then it just all fell apart because of that. So yeah, I don't know what will happen. But if you're the Nationals, and like you said, they're not they're not competing this year. They just don't have enough. They're not ready to start spending yet. This is what you should be doing when you're not like quite ready to play yet. You should be trying to figure out which pieces you can find to stick before your next good team. Yeah, it's like the, the year two or three of the of the rebuild, and you're starting to bring in guys like that who who on a one year deal. You go, okay, if he's good, we're going to trade him because yeah. we're not going to be competitive. Um, he's not part of our future. I mean, is or extend for one year? It, it, if, yeah, that 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 could be yeah. a possibility. But I think if for the most part, you go at this at this stage, we're not ready to spend. We're waiting for all these young guys, so we're going to give them at bats. We're not going to be very good. And we bring in a guy like Candelario. If he bounces back, we're going to trade him. We're going to they're probably going to find a couple. Yeah, at least one starting one starting pitcher in the same the same boat. If he is the same form that he was in 2021, you'll get a lot of prospects for him at the trade deadline. Like if he just shows that same like 20 percent better than average bat with okay defense, like there's a lot of teams that could use that, particularly with the universal DH. So I think it's like a high upside like play by the Nationals. Basically, I just think it's yep. very smart. Yep. Simil- similarly, in terms of cheap signings that could be interesting, uh, the Dodgers signed Shelby Miller. And look, I'm a Cardinals fan, and so I'm, I'm not going to believe it even when I see it. Like, I just, I can't imagine him ending up good because he's just felt so cursed his entire major league career. But if anyone can fix him, it's the Dodgers, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, they've done that with a couple different guys already. And it, it seems like every guy they were throwing out, you know, even though they, that, that series against the Padres ended badly, but they had guys like Yancy Almonte, Tommy Conley. It was just like they were striking every hitter out. <laughs> yeah, not even I mean, exaggerating. Like Yancy Almonte. What was Evan Phillips before last? Evan year? Phillips. Yeah, I mean, so so they have they've been doing this. So they have that reputation. If you look at a guy like Miller, it's yeah, it's interesting how you go from being that that young starting pitching sensation, bounce around, and all of a sudden it's just like wow, what what happened? You're just really bad. You're just a minor league free agent guy. And at some point, I don't know how long it took, but it, it seems like a pretty common thing to say, all right, stop trying to throw all these pitches. We're going to we're gonna focus on this one pitch and we're going to use all of this technology. And 
okay, boom, this is the pitch you should be throwing, this slider. You never, I, it seems like he hasn't thrown this slider before. Yeah, he, um, he used to have a cutter that I think kind of mimics the slider in motion, but it's a little bit different. Yeah, but it, you know what I mean? It's like you can look at what he was doing before and you go, and, and somebody's smart or somebody just looking at this using the technology and going, okay, I, I see where 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 your best pitch is yeah. gonna gonna be. So let's let's try this, let's try this, and and however long it takes, you know, he's he's entering his thirty age thirty two season and he gets a major league deal. Finally, he's, he hasn't been good in a while, but those those minor league numbers were, were impressive. It look, looks like a guy who who can miss some bats. And yeah. then he finally gets he gets the call, and I think he struck pretty much everybody out in his first three games with the, with the with the Giants. Then had an yeah, then had an ugly it, one, basically. And, and so yeah. I, I think you know, fortunately for him, that that he's not going to be judged on that on that one bad game because you look at his because most people are going to look at his numbers and go, he had a six ERA, and they're like, dude, right. he, he threw well, seven, seven innings, innings yeah. man, and and he struck everybody out in in six of those innings. Yeah, I mean, I, I just quickly looked through it, and he's more of like a like a big sweeper guy now. He was kind of a hard slider before so yeah you know see if that works it's very interesting and it wasn't that expensive so why not yeah i mean it's it's just not fair for hitters these days man because you can do this with so many so many pitchers and it's just my opinion and watching especially late late in games and especially you get you get into the playoffs against all these these great hitters and you look at somebody like you, you remember that home run that that jordan alvarez hit against jose alvarado yeah, and um, and you go look. Jose Alvarado is going to blow that guy away. He's one of the, one of the best hitters in baseball, and you bring in a guy like Jose Alvarado, and and Alvarez doesn't have a chance, dude. <laughs> but he threw a bad, he made a bad pitch, and that's what good hitters do. You throw him a bad pitch, and he's going to make you pay for it. And that's that's like most of the great hitters in baseball. You're getting 600 plus plate appearances. If you hit 30 homers. Like most of that is just like you, you, somebody threw a bad pitch and you crushed it. You didn't. Yeah, you didn't. You're not it. usually hitting your home runs on the like you know a hundred on the corner. Like, yeah, so, you don't so, have to. So so a lot of these relievers you bring in and you go, okay, like I expect these guys just to blow whoever whoever's batting. You're gonna blow these guys away, three guys, and it's gonna be easy as long as you put the ball where I think you're gonna put it. And, and then once in a while they'll have a bad one, have a bad outing, and it's like or or. You know, you're facing four or five of these guys a game. One of them has a bad outing. That's how that makes the difference in the ball game. But it's like most of these guys, <laughs> you got the, they got their two pitches, and it's like, okay, I know, I know if I if I throw it where I want to throw it, I'm gonna get three guys out, and it's gonna be I'm gonna throw a scoreless inning, no big deal. <laughs> yeah. And they just keep finding these guys, and so yeah, yeah it's, it's interesting that 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 Miller sign is interesting because I think the Dodgers have they're not they're not settled. In, in in the late innings, they have a lot of options, but I think especially after that postseason, I think they want to go back and say, all right, let's make sure we have that one guy. And I'm not sure, I'm not, still not sure they're going to do that. You know? Yeah, I agree. I like their new way of building a team with a, a lot of relievers. I think it's a lot better than the whole rely on starters and relief plan. But uh, yeah, it remains to be seen how it works, but it seems like a good, uh, good stab to take. On that note, this is a kind of tortured segue, but... We were talking about a great former Cardinal, and Dylan asked us some questions about great current Cardinals in like May, and I don't, I don't even remotely remember any of these. But I guess we, you and I, made some predictions and picks, some bets on what would happen in the Cardinals season. I think I, I think he asked us about Yadier Molina and maybe Albert Pujols, something about his pitching and or his stolen bases, something like that. Yeah, hi pals, I'm here, and uh, hey, Dylan. on Hello. episode nine hundred and seventy-six, back at the end of May. We were uh, getting into the season. We were a third of the way in, and we thought we knew everything. 
and we were uh, talking about those Cardinals. So we made some predictions. You made some predictions. I asked you some questions, and we'll check on them. We didn't have any high stakes or anything, but uh, we can see what we were thinking at the time, back at the end of May. So as we looked at the Cardinals back in 976, the end of May, I asked you both who would have more saves the rest of the year, Gallegos or Ryan Helsley, if you recall that. That was a more straight-up question. At the time, Helsley had two, and Gallegos had eight. And by my notes, Jason had right. Gallegos and Ben had Helsley. And Helsley went from 2 to 19 indeed took the job. Right. And Gallegos only had six more that time. But yeah, yeah. but it's not like either of them like, became the main, main closer, I suppose. I guess Helsley kind of did. I, I, think he, I think he ran away with it at some point. He graduated to like elite, elite reliever at, yeah. at some point during, during last season. Yeah, they were one of the... The more aggressive teams that like use your best reliever against the other yeah. team's best three, which I think suppressed both of their save totals a little. But I think he was the clear like top guy by the end of the year. Yeah, I saw that in the game logs too, where they were both kind of doing both. But yeah, it looked like Ryan Helsley ended up taking that job as Ben suggested, but not a wipeout. Here's another fun one. I had asked you about steals. At the time, they were leading baseball in steals with 36 and only been caught five times. I asked where they'd finish in the year. Ben, you claimed they would stay top two. Oh, no. I don't know that Jason had one, but no, that was not true. A lot of other teams ran away. The Cardinals ended up 11th in steals all the way down. Disaster. Tied with uh, some other teams. They had 95. The Texas Rangers were in first with 128 steals this year. And then uh, John Birdie and the Marlins were, were right behind him. So, yeah, I guess the, the Cardinals ran a little less than they were early on. But I don't know. Did you notice anything in the in the team that made them do that? Or is it just other teams kind of like John Birdie started running like crazy? Yeah. Also, the Cardinals just uh, started giving more playing time to slower people as the season went on, too. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Bader got hurt, Pujols started playing every day, etc. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll get to that too. I had here also, I asked you, who would win the National League Rookie of the Year, a Cardinals player or the field? Because at the time, we had quite a few guys doing really well, including like Brendan Donovan and Juan Yepes and Nolan Gorman and stuff. But you both said the field, and yes. it ended up being not a Cardinal. Yeah, I don't know if a Cardinal finished in the top five. <laughs> but they had a good young crop still, and a lot of they those did. young guys are going to be hey, Donovan. Donovan was top three, wasn't he? I think oh, he was. Guy, he was third. Think, All right. I think so, yeah. yeah. Deservedly yeah. so. So neither of you thought that anyone was going to win it, but yeah, those guys are... Well, they'll be back next year, for sure. Just not as rookies. My last two, we were talking in, indeed about pitching appearances, and it was because Albert Pujols and Molina and Yadier had both... Stolen a base and pitched a game. Oh, I forgot about that. And we were like, what's going on? It's only May and they're just rolling them out doing this. And so I had asked if they'd have more combined steals by the end of the year or more combined pitching appearances. And from that date on, Albert Pujols did not run anymore or pitch anymore. But Benji Molina pitched another game on June 8th and stole one base on September 3rd which I guess makes it tied still. Amazing. <laughs> One each. So they, they slowed down on that, but only a bit. Yeah. Good work, Yachty. I mean, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. he had two innings pitched this year. Yeah, two appearances and two steals for Molina, including stealing a base in September. Where I was like, wow, okay. I didn't go look up exactly. I got to look that up. Was it the back end of a double steal or something? It was September 3rd. It might have been. I didn't look that closely. So that was a push. And then the most interesting question I asked you guys was at this time, at the end of May, Corbin Burns allowed eight home runs so far after allowing just seven in 2021 and you claimed you weren't that concerned ben 
your boy Corbin Burns. And I had Pujols with four home runs at that date after having 17 the year before. And I asked, from May 25th on, would there be more Pujols homers hit or Corbin Burns homers allowed? And I believe you said homers hit, Ben, which did end up being true, but not by a ton. Corbin Burns did give up a lot of home runs. Corbin Burns ended up giving 23 total after seven last year. Uh, which was 15 more, but Albert Pujols ended up with 24, which was 20 more than when we counted. So Albert Pujols outpaced him, but not by a ton. Man, that is um, a lot of home runs to give up for Burns and still have an ERA under three. Like, Absolutely. He wasn't stinky. He just, man, you know. Yeah, he, he had a weird season. Yeah. Good uh, season. Weird season. So yeah, that was our peak back at May and our very modest predictions for the Cardinals. And we're just seeing where they're at and what was going on. Fun prediction game. So thanks, pals. No, no real keeping tight score. And then they did. They cruised to the playoffs and then got run over by the Phillies, as everyone expected. <laughs> just, just the way you drew it up. We all knew that the Philadelphia Phillies would be that freight train. Yeah. So that's our quiz. Thanks for letting me check back in. And yeah, next week uh, we're going to San Diego, huh? Going to Jason's hometown. Yeah. Once again, I, th- th- this is the this is where we were my first year. My first yeah, year with Fangrass. Too. Ben's first year. So yeah. this is where I met all you guys. And I've been waiting for the next winter meetings, and yeah, we've skipped the next two, and then back in San Diego where where it all yeah. started. So last time we ushered in Armageddon, so let's like hope we don't do that again. <laughs> and most people that have been to a few of these will agree that San Diego is probably the best place to go, especially weather wise. Oh man, I'm so excited that I'm coming down a day early and going to the zoo. Ooh, that'll be good. That's a yeah. bucket list item of mine that I've, nice. I've never been to that zoo. That'll be fun. Jason, have you been to that zoo? Oh yeah, but not since yeah. my my kids were were really young. Sure. Um, so it's been a while. Yeah. One of my friends is in town and he has uh, two small kids. So it's just perfect. Nice. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'll be seeing you both starting Sunday evening and the Fangraph staff will be in town along with all these other uh, baseball folks. It'll be a good get together the first in a few years. And I mentioned I'll be ringing my microphone. We'll be recording some sort of Fangraphs audio stuff there. I'm not sure what yet, but we don't often get the whole crew in the same area. So it'll be fun to to record some stuff and as well as do some hanging out. So if any listeners have any suggestions of what they want to hear from us, from the crew while we're together, what we're recording there, tweet at us because we'll be there and we'll be busy. And I think it'll be really fun. Yeah. Can't wait. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I know David Lorela has a few times on interviews over the air online like this, open baseball cards to like prompt conversation and like have people talk about the players that we open. And maybe we'll find some spontaneous in-person recording things to do when we're there. I don't know. Awesome. Got to go to a card shop in San Diego. Yeah, I'm sure they're not short on those. But yeah, that should do it. You guys have anything else before we wrap up on out here and start packing, get ready? That's it for me. I'm really excited for the trip. I always like, I just haven't done a lot of baseball industry things in my life. Mm -hmm. And so every time we get to go to one, I'm super excited. Yeah. Looking forward to seeing both of you. Same. Well, Dylan, thank you for joining us for a varied and pretty interesting recollection of our mostly kind of bad predictions now that that I heard them (laughs) out loud. But they were a lot of fun at the time. And I do like knowing that we each at least got one right. That's about all you can ask for. Mm -hmm. So I guess that'll wrap us up for Dylan Higgins and Jason Martinez. I'm Ben Clemens. Thank you guys for hanging out with us today. This has been Fangraphs Audio. Thank you to Brad Miller for joining us. If you enjoyed the program, consider recommending it to a friend or two. Spreading the word really helps us out. After you have checked out the Fangraph store for holiday gift ideas, don't forget to also try out the Fangraph smartphone app, free on Apple Store and Google Play. 
It's great for all your sabermetric research and baseball leaderboards on the go. And finally, make sure you sign up for the Fangraphs newsletter. Free to your inbox. It's the best way to keep up on everything we have going on, which is a lot. As we mentioned, we're off to San Diego for the winter meetings next week. If you're around, make sure to say hi. That'll do it for us. Be excellent to each other, and we'll talk to you next time.